Amen. Well, it's good to be back with you uh, this morning. I was here this past Wednesday, and I'll be here this coming Wednesday. And uh, I'm going to do something daring this morning and try to use technology. But just in case the technology doesn't work, I brought the back up. So um, what I want to do um, this morning is talk to you about our hearts. Our hearts. And the reason for this, I'll give you a little backstory to how I landed here, um, because it's something the Lord is doing in my own heart. And um, as most of you know, I'm a, a physician, and I graduated from medical school in 1984. And when I did, uh, we, we learned all about the heart, obviously, since it's a very central part of our body. But we learned about the heart as a, a pump. It, it pumped the, the blood around in our bodies. It took uh, oxygenated blood and it pumped it to our bodies for our bodies to use the oxygen. And then it returned the deoxygenated blood back to the right side of the heart. And then it went through the lungs to be oxygenated and then around and around it went again. And so that's pretty much what we learned about the heart. And we wanted to preserve the heart in order to preserve the pump, in order to preserve life. That makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. So uh, just recently, in the past several weeks, I uh, have become certified uh, by the uh, HeartMath Institute to use what's known as heart rate variability as a biofeedback tool to uh, promote health and well-being. And I'm not going to go into that now, but in the course of doing the, the study, uh, I, I got um, caught up, if you will, in the, the most recent investigations in science into our heart. And, um, and, you know, we all live in a world of stress. Anybody not have any stress? Huh? No, yeah. We all have stress. And I've talked to you before in, in, in other uh, presentations, especially on the four pillars of health, about how long-term chronic stress is detrimental to our health. But it isn't the stress that is detrimental to our health. It's our reaction to the stress. And that reaction to the stress always involves our emotions. And the key to our emotions is our heart. And, and so our, our, our emotions really result from this dynamic relationship that's going on between our heart, our brain, our larger nervous system, and our um, system of hormones in our body. And so the heart becomes the pivot, if you will, of interconnectedness between the body, the soul, and the spirit. And so, as a result of this, uh, and, and pondering this, and, and finding out the amazing things that our heart is involved in, and especially in, in the involvement in our reaction to stress, and therefore our own well-being, I got to wondering, what does the Bible say about the heart? And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. 
And so the very first thing that I did was I got my smartphone out, I go over to my Blue Letter Bible app, and I hit the search function, and I type in heart. And I wanted to see how many times the word heart was mentioned in the Bible. And in the New King James Version Bible, it is mentioned 771 times. And so we're going to go over every one of those verses this morning. See, I just increased your stress level. You, you responded with your emotions when you heard that. I saw some of you, you know, you already were checking your watch and saying, now it's 771 verses, there's no way he's going to get through that in the next 45 minutes. That's going to go into lunchtime. That's going to go into the uh, next swim meet of the Olympics. Well, rest assured, I'm not going to go over all 771 verses, but I am going to go through some verses that, that was revelatory to me uh, because I learned a lot. The Holy Spirit just taught me and taught me more about the heart. You know what? All of our science is not telling us anything new. It's all written right here. And so I want to share that with you this morning. So get your Bibles out. And if, if you're really good at the old sword drills, you know, and be able to find a verse first in your Bible, uh, you'll be able to keep up with me. Otherwise, just take notes, because we're going to go real fast. All right. So the first, I'm going to be very simple this morning. I'm going to number everything, so you shouldn't get mixed up. And, uh, and we're going to start at a very good place with number one. And, um, and so... The, the first thing about our heart is that it is the seat of our emotions. Isaiah 30, 29. Now, all the verses that I share are going to be the New King James Version, except there are going to be a few that will be from the New Living Translation, and I'll let you know uh, which ones those are. But, um, so the first one is Isaiah 30, 29, and it says, "'You shall have a song as in the night when a holy festival is kept,' and gladness of heart, as when one goes with a flute to come to the mountain of the Lord, to the mighty one of Israel. Now, I can almost say with 100% certainty that every one of you have used some form of this phrase, oh, that really makes me glad in my heart, or you gladden my heart, or this particular circumstance, or this gift that I have received makes my heart glad. Right? You don't say, oh, that makes my brain glad, or that makes my body glad, or that makes my little finger glad. Some of you may think that makes my stomach glad, but uh, that's not what we're talking about this morning. So it makes my heart glad. So our heart is, is an emotional organ. Another verse is Jeremiah 15, 16. Your words were found and I ate them, and your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. So whenever we have joy, we, I don't know about you, but I kind of sense that joy is central, is right here. I, I have joy right here, and, um, and that is our heart. Um, 
But in the same way that we might experience gladness or experience joy, there's Jeremiah 4.19 that says, Oh, my soul, my soul, I am pained in my very heart. My heart makes a noise in me. I cannot hold my peace because you have heard, O oh my soul, the sound of the trumpet, the alarm of war. And so we feel that kind of emotion in our heart. If you ever are, receive an unkind word, you might say, oh, my, my heart is stabbed, or some phrase like that. That's in our heart. And then Psalm 39.3 my heart was hot within me, declares the psalmist. While I was musing, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. So we can feel that kind of emotion in our heart. It's a smoldering. It's a, it can maybe even be anger, but our heart is hot. And, and so our heart is the seat of emotion. Number two, our heart is the seat of of understanding and or foolishness. Our heart is the seat of understanding and foolishness. 1 Kings 3.12. Now, you might remember this chapter. This is a chapter where uh, Solomon um, asked the Lord for wisdom and understanding. And the, the Lord's response to him is in 1 Kings 3.12. And he says, Behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart, so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall any like you arise after you. So the Lord planted in Solomon a wise and understanding heart. It's the heart that was had the understanding. And then there's Jeremiah 14, 14. This is in the New Living Translation. I just like the way that it said it better. Then the Lord said, these prophets are telling lies in my name. I did not send them or tell them to speak. I did not give them any messages. They prophesy of visions and revelations they have never seen or heard. They speak foolishness made up in their own lying hearts. So our heart can, can either dwell there in wisdom or the heart can dwell in foolishness. And then to cap it all off, Proverbs 10.20 also in the New Living Translation, the words of the godly are like sterling silver. The heart of a fool is worthless. So there's, there's some kind of a value assigned to the heart. It's what's in your heart. The heart is very crucial to our lives. Number three, the heart is the seat of our will and intention. The seat of our will and intention. 1 Kings 8.17 now it was in the heart of my father David to build a temple for the name of the Lord God of Israel. So out of our heart comes an intent to do something, comes a purpose, uh, comes the motivation to proceed, comes out of our heart. Exodus 36.2, 
Then Moses called Bezalel and Ohaliath, and every gifted artisan in whose heart the Lord had put wisdom, everyone whose heart was stirred to come and do the work. So in that heart was that desire, that, com- that compelling urge to do something. It's where the will and the intent began, resides, and proceeded from, out of the heart. So now we've seen the heart is what? It's the seat of emotions. It's the seat of understanding or foolishness. It's the seat of will and intention. And also, all of that together, wrapped up, leads to the very fact that that the heart is the seat of our response to God. Now, if you think about it, that response can be either positive or negative. So let's look at some verses. Jeremiah 32.40 in the New Living Translation. Jeremiah 32.40, And I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good for them. I will put a desire in their hearts to worship me and they will never leave me. So our heart is the place of worship. Remember this last Wednesday, I talked about the fact that um, when the world crept in to the Israelites there in Jerusalem after they had built the temple, and, um, and the uh, Levites uh, weren't doing their job anymore, because there were no more tithes and offerings coming in, and worship stopped. It was an issue of their heart. And you can go look at the minor prophets, and the Father pinpoints it, that it was an issue of their hearts. Psalm 40, verse 8. I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. So there the word dwells, and there is the act of obedience. I delight to do your will. Your law is within my heart. So we have that desire to worship out of our heart, and then out of that that worship position, that worship response, comes that, that response of faithfulness of obedience, of a desire to do His will. But then, the flip side of that coin is Isaiah 29, 13. This is in the New Living Translation. And so the Lord says, These people say they are mine. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And their worship of me is nothing but man-made rules learned by rote might sound familiar today. So there are hearts that can be not worshiping Him, but far from Him. So that was number four. Number five is, putting all of this together, the heart is the whole person. Hmm. Psalm 84, 2. My soul longs. Yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. In Psalm 62, 5, in the New Living Translation, other translations say, 
my soul and um, or, or let my soul be quiet before God. In the New Living, it translates it, let all that I am. So that my heart and my flesh crying out for the living God, my heart, that's who I am. It's, it's, it's all of my mind and my will and my emotions. That's, it's the person. 1 Peter 3, 3 and 4. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is very precious in the sight of God. So there's that inner hidden person of the heart. In... um, First Samuel 16, 7, when Samuel is choosing David out of the whole lineup of all of his brothers to anoint David as king, um, the Lord says to Samuel, uh, I don't see as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but I look at the heart. So he looks at the whole person. The heart is the whole person. And then number six, our heart is the center of our spiritual life. And therefore, that is what the Lord addresses. He looks at our heart. He addresses our heart. Ezekiel 36, 26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. That's what he does. He addresses our heart, hallelujah. And he has taken out that old stony heart and he's given us a live, fleshy, beating heart that's poised toward him if you belong to him. So taking all of those six points, that's what the heart is all about. It's that emotional center. It's it's who we are, where our will and intention resides and, and, and understanding. So now what I want to do for the rest of the time together is I want to take you on a spiritual journey of the heart. If the, if the Lord God is going to address our heart, why does he do that, and how does he do it? That's what we're going to look at. So, on your, if you're taking notes, we're going back to number one again. Okay, so number one under this spiritual journey to the heart. Number one is sin works in the heart. Matthew 15, 19 in the New Living Translation. For from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. Now I'm going to tell you this. I, I mentioned that our response to stress has to do with our emotions. 
so does this. It's not, you know, you, it's not something that you uh, think up cognitively in your head and you just wake up one day and you say, you know, I think I'm going to go down to Walmart and steal something. No, it comes out of your emotions. You may be angry. You may be thinking that you're deprived. You may think that, uh, that in order to build yourself up, you have to steal something from someone else. Those evil thoughts come out of our heart, and, and because our heart is the seed of our emotion, it comes out of our emotions. Romans 2.5, New King James. But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. So the heart is, is that seed of sin, but it, is, it can be impenitent. It becomes hardened, and it be, can become so hard that you will not... Turn to the living God. The heart remains impenitent. It doesn't do penitence. It's, it, it's not changing. Impenitent heart. Romans 1.21, because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So the other thing that happens is that foolishness that was in the heart causes a darkness to come over the heart. And if you're familiar with Romans 1 in particular, is that God gives man up to go his own way because his heart had become so hardened and so darkened, and it was all in the heart. Hebrews 3.12, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. That's why I mentioned it on Wednesday night that we need to exhort one another every day as long as it's called today so that none of us would become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And it has to do with your heart. So when really, when we exhort one another we're not appealing to the rational mind. We're appealing to the heart. We're appealing to those emotions and, and, and telling, oh, be steadfast, be immovable. Always abound in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Exhort one another. That was number one. So number one is sin works in the heart. Number two, God searches and reveals the heart. See, he's not leaving us alone. He's not leaving us to our own devices. He cares for us. He sent his only begotten son to die for us. God shows his love for us or demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So God searches and reveals the heart. Hebrews 4.12. You should be familiar with this one. This should be a memory verse. For the word of God is living and powerful or active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 
So that word lays bare our heart. It's like when the priest back in the Old Testament uh, uh, sacrificed an animal and took a knife and laid the animal open, and, and it, the animal was open to, the, to be seen. And so the Lord opens up our heart, and He looks at it, and the Word discerns those thoughts and intentions of our heart. There, there's nothing that you could hide from the Almighty God. Number three, therefore, if God searches and reveals the heart, therefore it is the word that does the work of conviction. Acts 2.37, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit falls, the believers are baptized in the Holy Spirit, Peter stands up and he preaches to all the people that were there in Jerusalem, and he preaches the Word, and this is their response, Acts 2.37, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? In other versions it said, what shall we do to be saved? The Word convicted it pierced their hearts. Therefore, if it is the heart that is corrupted, then it has to be the heart that is renewed. Number four, God opens our heart. Acts 16, 14. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us, she was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. So the Lord opens her heart to receive the word that was spoken by Paul. And what is the result of that? Romans 10, 9, and 10. How many times have you heard these verses? If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and what? Believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So it transpires in your heart. The Lord opens up the heart to receive the word, the truth, the unchanging eternal truth, and that truth convicts that sinful heart, and then when you believe in your heart, it becomes righteousness and salvation to you. Amen? Number five, as a result of that, oh, at church, it gets better. As a result of that, God shines in our hearts. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. So those hearts that were hardened and darkened now receive light. And not just ordinary light, it is light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ our Lord. Every time, without missing, the Lord in that heart 
shines that eternal light, the light that came into a dark world and overcame the darkness, that light is shining in our hearts. Number six, God puts his spirit in our hearts. Galatians 4, 6, and because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts crying out, Abba, Father. It's that intimate communication with the Almighty God, Abba, Daddy. A closeness, an intimacy that we now share because He sent His Spirit into our hearts. Number seven, God pours His love into our hearts. Romans 5, 5. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So when that heart is opened, we receive the light, we receive the Holy Spirit, and with the Holy Spirit comes an outpouring of love. And this is not just your ordinary uh, phileo love, brotherly love, it is agape love. It is unconditional, no strings attached love. That love he pours into our heart. And because we have received the Holy Spirit out of our innermost being flows rivers of living water. And that living water is light and it is the Spirit, and it is love, all because He is at work in our hearts. Number eight, I told you it gets better. Christ takes up residence in our hearts. Ephesians 3.17, Then Christ will make His home in your hearts as you trust in Him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. That's the New Living Translation. He makes His home in our hearts. Actually, the Trinity does. The Trinity. We will make our home in your heart. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit makes their home in our hearts. Our hearts become His home, His residence, the place where He abides. And number nine, the result of Christ making his home in our hearts is Romans 6.17. There are going to be several points under this. So when Christ comes to make his home in our heart, number nine is there a result of that. And the first one is Romans 6.17, but God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. So now what happens when he takes up residence in our hearts, then becomes that willingness to obey him. The willingness to do what he says. The willingness to open up our ears and hear his voice. And when we hear that guidance of the Holy Spirit, then our heart says, 
Yes, Lord, I turn my steps to obey your word. The second one is 2 Thessalonians 3.5. Now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. So as a result of Jesus taking up his residence in our hearts, then, um, then we exhibit the love of God and a patience. And you might say, well, I've never been patient a day in my life. Well, now when he takes up residence in your heart, you have the patience of Christ. You're a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. You now have love and patience in your heart. And just as I was speaking, I just had this, uh, there was an old um, uh, song, um, praise song we used to sing, I think back in the 70s, it says, uh, there is a flag flying high from the castle of my heart because the king is in residence there. And so... Uh, I'd sing it for you, but um, I'll spare you. <clears throat> the next one is Colossians 3.15. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. So church, we, because we are the body of Christ, and we are one in the Spirit, and the Spirit indwells our hearts, and Jesus has taken up residence in our hearts, then there is a peace that rules in our hearts, and it really makes us one. It binds us together. Whenever somebody walks through these doors and into this sanctuary, when we're here and we're worshiping, they are going to experience peace. And next Wednesday, I'm going to tell you why. It has to do with our heart. But, but here it is in the Word. The peace of God rules in your hearts, and, and you are called in one body, and be thankful for it. Hebrews 13.9 Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines, for it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. So grace establishes our heart. That free and inexhaustible grace of God is now in our hearts, and it establishes our hearts. It makes our hearts one. The psalmist says, Unite my heart to fear thy name. So our heart is united in Christ, and we are established by that grace that we received when we received Jesus. Number 10. So everything that I've talked about so far all leads to this point. And this is our heart's goal. Okay, so think of it. This is where I want my heart to be. This is where I want my heart to dwell. 1 Timothy 1.5 Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. 
It's a pure heart, church. And that, that Greek word for pure is katharos, and it means just that. It means there is no impurity. It is clean. <coughs> it is pure. There is nothing that taints it whatsoever. That kind of heart. And it is not something that we do. It's not something that we just grit our teeth and grunt and groan and strain. It's because of the transforming life of Christ in us that we are able to have a pure heart. And to sum it all up is Matthew 5.8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Amen? So if you want to live a revelatory life, if you want to consistently hear from the Holy Spirit, if you want to hear God and see God, then walk with a pure heart. Let that Word have its full effect in your heart, and that is the way that you will walk. Wow, the heart. I, did, I had never in all of my Christian life taken a look at the heart like this. And I don't know about you, but this transformed me. This transformed my life. It transformed my relationship with the living God because I understand what He has done with this. It's not just an organ that is beating, and oh, by the way, He gives us every beat. It is not something that just pushes blood around in our body. But it has everything to do with our life and our health. So this coming Wednesday, <clears throat> tune in by the live stream or come here to church because I, I want to talk to you more about this. And, and Proverbs 14.30 says, A sound heart is life to the body. But envy is rottenness to the bones. So if you have those emotions, those evil thoughts dwelling over here, envy, jealousy, strife, uh, wrath, all of those things, it is rottenness to the bones. But if you have a sound heart and that the word for sound, the, the Hebrew word for sound is marpe, and it means health or cure. And, and over in Jeremiah 33.6, there are three words used that where God says, I'm going to heal you. He uses three words, marpe, uh, rafa, and now I can't remember the third one. But anyway, marpe is one of them, and it means that I'm going to heal you, I'm going to cure you, I'm going to make you whole. So that sound heart is a marpe heart, and it is life, and that Hebrew word is high. 
and it, and it means life. It's the same kind of life as you see in John 10.10 when Jesus says, I came that you might have abundant life. That life, that's zoe life in the Greek. <clears throat> it's high in the Hebrew. And so it all has to do with a sound heart. Luke 4.18. <clears throat> the Spirit of Jesus is speaking in the synagogue, reading from uh, Isaiah, and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. And that literally means a heart that is broken. It's busted, and it means to be in many, many pieces. And so Jesus the reason he came, the reason the Spirit of the Lord was upon him and anointed him was to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and set at liberty those who are oppressed. That's why he came. And he wants us to have a sound heart and have life in our body. And so that's what I'm going to talk about in more detail on Wednesday night, and even uh, give you some, um, some techniques for you to maintain a pure heart. Amen? Okay. So, um, I think we still have about 756 verses to go, but uh, right now I want to stop and... Um, and just stand up with me, and uh, can I have a, do we have a prayer team? Have a prayer team this morning up here. Everybody out there watching the live stream, you know, and everybody in here, if, if you don't have Jesus in your heart, <clears throat> none of this comes to pass. It's just that the, that the evil heart just stays there, and it stays darkened, and you walk around in the darkness, but it's easy to receive Jesus. So Revelation 3.20 says, Jesus is speaking, and he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into them and eat with them and them with me. In other words, he'll come into your heart, and he will... Uh, fellowship with you. You'll sit around the table and eat pizza together. It, he says, I will come into you if you open up your heart. And it's easy right now to do that. So if your heart is full of darkness, if you know it's full of those emotions that makes you want to go out and lie and steal and all of those other things I read about, all you have to do with Jesus knocking is to say, Jesus, come into my heart. So pray with me. Lord Jesus, I hear you knocking at the door of my heart. I don't want to have a dark and evil heart. I want a pure heart. I want a heart that's full of gladness and full of joy and full of light and full of love. And so I ask you right now to come into my heart. I receive you with all of my heart. And I thank you that you have come and now you have taken up residence in my heart. If you prayed that prayer, you are a new 
person. You, your heart is a, is a, you're a real living heart. It's no longer a stony heart. It is a live and fleshy heart that's full of the Spirit of God. Hallelujah. So praise Him now. And church, if you're here and you've been struggling with things and you've had all of these thoughts assailing you and you haven't been experiencing peace and you haven't been experiencing love and you don't even think there's a light at the end of the tunnel, He has promised all of those things to you because Jesus lives in your heart. So the prayer team is available. Come up and pray with them. Don't walk in that way anymore. Patch up the holes in your wall and build up the walls of righteousness and walk in the purity and walk in the light. He calls to us. He says, walk in the light even as He's in the light. And then we have fellowship with one another. So I thank You, Father, for doing that. I ask You, Father God, to pour Your Spirit all across the church. Not just living waters, not just the people watching right now, but your entire body, I ask you to pour out your spirit and fill your body with all of you and embolden the body and make the body uh, full of life and love and to show forth the works of God. <laughs> I ask you to pour out your spirit across this country of ours I ask you to pour out your spirit and convict of sin and righteousness and judgment. It is the heart that you deal with, Father God, and I ask you to deal with the heart of America. I ask you to turn this country to you so that this country is poised toward you. It is a whole heart looking only to you for salvation and for life. And I thank you that you are faithful and true, and that is your heart. It is your heart, Father, for that to happen, to transpire, to come to pass, and then receive your church unto yourself. So we glorify you, we honor you, we thank you, thank you, thank you for everything that you have done for us. And we pray all of that in the mighty name of Jesus Amen and amen. Be blessed, church.